0: Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching and may the Lord richly bless you. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. We're gonna look at verses 15 through 23, Ephesians one. Verses 15 through 23. The word of the Lord says to us. For this reason, I, again, the Apostle Paul writing here, for this reason, I, Paul, too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists in you, the you being the Ephesian brethren, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you In my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The father of glory may give to you. A spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And Paul begins a prayer here on verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his mind. So as he prays this prayer in 18 and the first part of 19, the apostle Paul almost cannot contain himself. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ the church, to us who are gathered together, to the church universal, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This kind of prayer that is ex- uh, the exclamation point of which is this exaltation of praise unto God. Jesus, we thank you for the reading of Scripture this morning. We thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity that we have to be together one more Sunday, God, we're not guaranteed of next week. We're not guaranteed of tomorrow, but we're guaranteed of right now in this moment, God, where your presence visits us. Help us, Lord, in the study and application of your word to our lives. That we will be faithful servants, faithful stewards of the gospel the treasures of heaven, and these earthen vessels. Help us, Jesus, we pray. In your name we ask it. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you. I'm not, uh, I know we're in an age of technology and of uh you know, uh, Bibles on our phones and other things. And I think that is a wonderful, I use it, uh, I use it quite a bit. I'm going to ask you when you're in church to bring a real Bible, not that that's not a real Bible, but to bring a paper Bible (laughs) and, uh, to be encouraged with a Bible that you can actually put in your hands. God may move on you to underline something or mark something. I know for some people they don't like to do that, but I would encourage you, uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to work. Maybe you bring a pad and a pencil, uh, it's important at times because I know with my brain, uh, things tend to get shuffled to the back behind all the other things. And there are sometimes things that God wants to remind me of or God help, uh, God wants uh, me to know and I need to write it down. And what happens in those moments is at the point later on at times that God needs you to remember that thing is where you find Uh, that paper or that writing when you're reflecting back on what God has said or done. I encourage you to keep that with you as you pray and seek the Lord. Some of us have problems keeping our minds on track uh, with uh, prayer. And I want to encourage you to keep a pad beside you, to write down notes, to move things off your mind so that you're able to focus on the Lord uh, during those times of prayer. But on Sunday morning, uh, it'd be a blessing for you to come with an actual uh, Bible in your hand and a pad and a pen uh, to be focused on what the Lord may uh, speak to you as we look through uh, the word of the Lord. So we began Ephesians a a few uh, weeks ago, and uh, we're down now to uh, verse 15. And I'm really going to kind of move through the first part of this very quickly and focus our attention in on the prayer that Paul uh, prays for us. He begins in verse 15, uh, for this reason, some of your versions may use the word instead of for this reason and may use the word therefore, but essentially what he's saying in light of everything that I've said previously up until this point, essentially in light of that really long sentence that we talked about last week, that uh, is verses three through 14, 11 verses is one sentence. In light of what I have shared in this previous sentence to you, I want you to be aware of these things, which I am going to tell you in verses 15 through 14. 23. And so that is why he begins that transitional statement. And he wants us to know that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and that the mystery of Christ's will has been made known to us, and that in Christ, We have an inheritance that is imperishable. This is kind of the encapsulation of verses 3 through 14. That we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That the mystery of Christ's will has been made known to us. And that in Christ we have an imperishable inheritance. Now based upon these things or for this reason, Paul says, I want you to know that I am moved to pray for you. And he breaks in to prayer for the Ephesians based on the greatness of glory that is found in Christ. And I would ask you this morning, have you ever meditated or thought upon the glory of Jesus to such an extent that you are moved to pray for other believers to know that same glory that you have experienced. See, our culture is so individualistic at times that we're only concerned about our own personal blessings, but I will tell you when you get in the place of the beloved, when you get in the place of being with Christ and of meditating on his glory and meditating on his riches and meditating on his power and thinking about where you have come from and what Christ has done in you, at times you can be moved to pray that other people would experience that same wisdom and understanding and knowledge of the greatness of Jesus. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul does in chapter 1 here, as we have read this morning. Paul prays for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ that will result in three specific things for the Ephesian believers. He prays that they would have a knowledge of the hope of the Lord's calling. He prays that they would have a knowledge of the glory of Of his inheritance among the saints, and he prays that they would have a knowledge of the surpassing greatness of his power toward those of us who believe, a knowledge of the hope of his calling, a knowledge of the glory of his inheritance among the saints, and a knowledge of the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. In fact, in Paul's prayer, he did a great thing for preachers who who preached three-point sermons. He gave clearly three points in his prayer, the first being the hope, a knowledge of the hope of the Lord's calling. Verse 18 tells us that to know the hope of his calling, that our eyes must be enlightened. Scripture tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers, but when one comes to Christ, God's light shines in our heart. Later on, Paul echoes this statement in Ephesians 5 and 14 when he says, Awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Here the eyes of our heart. Refer, refer to our, the whole of our thinking, our feeling, and the will of our inner person. At times we sing the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Have you ever wondered what that means? How do I open the eyes of my heart? What does that mean? Well, it comes out of this particular passage. We're saying this symbolically or metaphorically. Let the inner part of me be consumed with the reality, God, of your presence, so much that it changes my will from the natural man to the spiritual man. Sending so to open the eyes of my heart is more melodious than let my inner self be consumed with the reality of your presence so much so that it changes my will from the natural man to the spiritual man. But that's, in essence, what that means. The opening of the eyes of our heart is a continual process that happens by the work of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been in a dark room and then opened the door to the outside where the sun is shining very brightly and your eyes have to take time? To be able to adjust to the light. It takes a few moments for your eyes to adjust from the darkness to the light. It's a transitional period. Well, that's the same in our walk with the Lord. Oftentimes that we're given light in order to walk in that light. And then we're given more light in order to walk in that light. It's a continual process of God illuminating our life and showing us and revealing to us how to walk more fully in the light that he has given to us. Our eyes, verse 18 says, must be enlightened to understand the hope of his calling. The gospel has called us to a twofold hope. A hope which sees the power of God helping us to overcome past sins and failures and a hope in anticipation of what lies ahead in the future. This is the essence of the gospel. God gave in the book of Genesis one command to Adam and Eve. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve could not keep that one command. That was the only command at the time. Don't eat from this specific tree, and they could not keep that one command. And just unless we get a little prideful, you and I would not do any better. We would have done the exact same thing had we been in the garden at that particular moment. But because the command was broken, punishment had to be executed and the punishment was death. And Adam and Eve spiritually died immediately in that they were disfellowshipped from God and then physically died in time. And to reconcile man with God, there had to be that once for all punishment given toward that spotless sacrifice. And God came into flesh, and his name was Jesus, and Jesus was put to death by sinful man. But through the power of God was raised on the third day. He ascended into heaven, is now at the right hand of the Father, and is ever making intercession or praying for you and me. And all those who repent of their sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as that righteous sacrifice and confess the same will be saved. This is the gospel. We talk about the gospel a lot. We use the word, the gospel, but this is the gospel that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He died on the cross to save us both from the sins and the pain and the failures of the past and to set us on a path towards our heavenly home. Our twofold hope of the calling that God has given to us. The gospel cleanses us from past sins and mistakes. And the gospel anticipates a future reunion with Jesus, our Savior in heaven. That is the hope of our calling. If you're in Christ, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Then you have been cleansed from sin and you should anticipate or the longing of your heart should not be this life the longing of your heart, the hope is the life that is to come. And this anticipates to us the next part of Paul's prayer, that we would have a knowledge of the riches of the glory of his, of Jesus's inheritance in the saints. In this instance, Paul talks about an inheritance. He's not talking about, that which we inherit in heaven like our inheritance or our going to heaven and experiencing the glory and the grace and the power of God. That's not what Paul is referring to. He is talking about God's inheritance in us who believe. Well, that's a pretty interesting statement, isn't it? That God looks down and he sees you and I in this room together. He looks at us. And he is God, so he's all-knowing. He knows everything you've ever done, every thought you've ever had. You're completely laid bare before him. God sees you. And if you name the name of Jesus, you're in Christ. God sees you as his inheritance. Now, if I had someone that was planning to give me an inheritance. I've shared this before, that I have a great inheritance as soon as my rich uncle gets out of the poorhouse. But if someone is planning to give an inheritance to me, I want that inheritance to be managed in the best possible manner for when it becomes mine. Wouldn't you? If you have someone who says, whenever the Lord takes me, everything that I have, the wealth that I have, everything that I have is yours. Well, you want that person to take care of it. You want it in the best possible way for when that person passes on and it comes your way, it comes to you in the best manner possible, whether it's uh, inheritance of riches or an inheritance of a home or other things you don't want before the person passes away to say, hey, you're going to inherit my house. And then a few weeks before they pass away, they put a bulldozer through it. You want them to manage it well. You want the inheritance to be managed well. And that is why God calls us to righteousness and holiness and peace and unity and love, because these are the qualities that he desires in his inheritance. These are the qualities that he desires and the things that he will inherit in heavenly glory. This is why God wants to heal your inner wounds. God wants his inheritance and the glory of his inheritance to be even greater. God wants to forgive your sins because he wants the glory of his inheritance to be even greater. God wants to reach back into the deepest and darkest part of your life and heal that, all of that stuff and junk that has gone on back then. There so that his inheritance, the glory of his inheritance is greater. God wants to find the vilest sinner, the most wicked, the most perverted, the most anti-God. And he wants to save them and cleanse them to increase the glory of his inheritance. You see, there's a reason that the enemy wants to consistently remind you of your past hurts and failures of all the times that you didn't do it right, of all the times you stumbled, of all the times that you've gone back to the same things, of all the things that you can't get right, of all the failures you've done, there's a reason the enemy wants to keep you pushed down because he wants to impact God's great inheritance. You and I are called in Christ to move beyond the guilt of our sin. In fact, that is appropriated through the work of the cross to fully trust Christ for his forgiveness. Because you're not only walking in freedom for yourself, you are magnifying the inheritance of God when you're free from the bondage and iniquity of sin. And you hide away in a corner. And you think God could never use me because of all the things that I've done. You're saying the cross is not good enough and I do not care about the magnitude of glory of God's inheritance in the saints. I think someone needs to hear that this morning. You think God can't use me because of what happened back there, because of what I've done. The guilt that you're still trying to bear. You're still trying to bear the guilt. Satan continually reminds you of it over and over and over and over and over again. What you did, what you did, what you did, what you did. How you acted, your fault, your fault, your fault, your fault. And so what happens is you find yourself sitting off to the side. Now you and I have seen all those zebra herds on uh, on the Discovery Channel. And which one does the lion go after? The one that's off to the side by itself. Not in the middle, not with the pack, the poor, weak one off to the side. That's exactly where Satan wants you. He wants you to waller in the guilt. Woe is me. See, that's worldly sorrow. You realize that? There's a difference between godly sorrow. I've offended God. God, give me your grace. Give me your forgiveness. Help me, God, to appropriate the riches of Christ in my life that you may be glorified through me and through my walk with you. That's godly sorrow. I'm sorry, God, I've brought offense to you. Worldly sorrow is I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that people know. I'm going to sulk. I'm going to turn inward. I'm going to press off to the side because I'm not good enough to do anything that God might call me to do. And God wants to say, I want you to get rid of that thinking because what you in actuality are saying is that the cross is not significant enough to erase the stain of guilt that I bear. No, the glory or or the, the, the beauty that you and I have is that when you look around this room, when you look to the front and you look At the guy that's preaching to you this morning. And you look at your neighbor in the seat. Or you look across at someone else. Every single person in this room has sinned. Every single person in this room has transgressed the commandment of God. There is not one righteous in this room. So we're all in the same bucket. And what happens sometimes is you have one say, yeah, I, I sinned. I've done wrong in the past, but I'm not as bad as that person. They are really bad. (laughs) Jesus, thank you for cleansing me. I can accept that my guilt was taken away on the cross, but that person, they better pray long and hard. They'll tell me it's not so. But that's not the work of the cross. The abundance of flow of the blood of Jesus to cleanse and cover sin is like that pouring out of the water last week that overwhelms everything. It overwhelms every sin, every shame. And that is why Paul, when he thinks about it in Ephesians, as he's writing to them, he can't contain himself because the power and grace and glory of God is so magnificent. He can't keep it inside. be free from the guilt of past sin and walk in the freedom of Christ. Paul then says that he hopes, he prays, that they have the knowledge of the surpassing greatness, God's power, the power of Jesus toward us who believe. The words he uses here overlap. It's like a word sandwich. They kind of overlap in English in such a way that we can't even take what's in the Greek and put it in a coherent manner in English. But he uses words that are translated power and working and strength. And might, and they're all contained in this portion of verse 19. One translator put it this way. Paul is saying the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of the might of his strength. That you can't even put the words together in such a way because it's kind of erupting out of Paul this great power of God. He can't even put words together to say how great and magnificent God's power is. Any way you can think about or express, this power is accessible to those of us who believe. Wow. What God has done for you and for me, that what Paul can't even put into words to describe, God has said, here I freely give it to you and the beloved. God grants this super abundant enablement and its benefits to those who believe. Without this power, no part of the calling or hope would be possible. This focus on power in the prayer shows that it is what the Ephesians should especially grasp, appreciate, and utilize. In the face of other powers, it is important to know that access to and drawing upon God's power is what enables believers to oppose, to overcome whatever opposes us. This power is not in the abstract. It's not something that's kind of out there that we can't really get to that we believe, but it's going to happen some point in the future when Jesus comes. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying this power is accessible in the here and now. He wants the Ephesian church and he wants you and I to know that this overwhelming power which was displayed in the resurrection of Jesus is accessible in this life and is to be deployed for victorious living and the advancement of God's kingdom. Just as the resurrection power of God broke. The chains of death, that same overwhelming, incomparable working in the strength and might of God, that power can break the chains of bondage over anyone's life. You see what when we read through scripture, we see what happens in the spiritual realm always impacts what happens in the natural realm. Theologians kind of use this term already and not yet. That we've already experienced or we already have access to the power of God. But in many ways, that's not yet manifest in the natural realm. The riches of Christ are appropriated for us in the spiritual realm. We have access to them. But have yet to be fully manifested in the natural realm. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis uh, chapter 2. Verses fifteen and sixteen. Now well, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, "From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die." So that is the uh, uh, that is the consequence of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is that in the day that you eat of it, in that day, you will surely die, is what the word of the Lord uh, says to us. So we look at verse chapter 3. Let's read verses 6 and 7. Now, remember, back in 2, 15, and 16, Eve was not created yet. She comes in verses 18 and 19. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a light to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. Now, again, prior to this, just to kind of uh, uh, contract a little bit of, of, of reading here, Eve had been tempted by the serpent, if you read back up in the earlier part of 3. She saw that it was good for food, and that was the light to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So there's an implication here that we're not going to get to today, but you ought to think through about God giving the command to Adam, Eve being created later. Adam had a responsibility to Eve that he did not fulfill. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So what God said in 15 and 16, is the day you eat of the fruit, you're going to surely die. The day that they did eat of the fruit, their bodies didn't die. But immediately, the Bible says, their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. They tried to cover themselves, and they tried to hide from God, meaning that what had happened was something in the spirit room. They had been disfellowshipped from God. There was a break in the spirit Realm that would continue to manifest or would come to manifest itself in the natural realm, which it does in Genesis 5 when Adam dies his natural death. You see, in Christ, you and I, our spirits are reborn unto God. The new glorified body will come later at the end of the age. But all of the blessings of Christ are already appropriated to us. You see, the wickedness and the immorality and all the things that we see in the world. And what I hope to convince you of is this is just not people being bad. This is a spiritual battle that we are fighting. And if we hope to overcome the spiritual battle, yes, we can do some things in the natural realm. You ought to vote. You ought to protest if you need to. You ought to do some of these things. But you also ought to fervently be on your knees in prayer, waging war against principalities that are manifesting themselves. Through the natural world. That's what's happening. Mind me, that is what is happening in our day. The wickedness and the immorality that we are seeing is a manifestation of the spiritual war that is taking place. You see, Satan wants you to believe that you can manage your sin, that you have to manage, that this is a lifelong problem, that you will never overcome this challenge, this difficulty, whatever it is that you're walking through today, that this is going to be your life. But what I want to say to you is that in the spiritual realm, God has already made appropriation for you to live victorious. Paul is telling the Ephesian church that the power of the resurrected Christ is available to you and I today. It is not only something that is existing in the future. There is power today to see your family restored. Don't give up. Don't give up on your kids who are wayward. Don't give up. Don't give up the battle against sin. The battle against immorality. Don't give up. Continue to fight the battle. Because the power and the grace and the might and the strength of Christ are appropriated to you. In such a way that the apostle Paul with all of his education, with all of his learning, with all of his knowledge, with being in the spirit, with seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. He can't even put the words in his mouth what it means. I will not pastor a church another day if I come to believe that the power of God is not available to free people from bondage and the power of God is not available to truly transform lives. I'll hang it up and go sell umbrellas on a beach somewhere. And I mean what I say. But I believe fully in what the scripture tells us. I believe fully and what the Bible tells us. And I believe fully in what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate to Ephesian believers who were going through trials and going through challenges in their life. There were challenges outside, there were challenges inside, who had just come through a mighty revival, had seen God's power on display. I believe what the Apostle Paul is trying to do here is to say, hey, in that revival meeting that we had back in Acts chapter 19, when the power of God was on display, when God was doing mighty work, that same power continues to be available to you, Ephesians church and what God would have you know and me know today, Riverstone Church is the same power that is in this scripture is available to you and I today. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't say it doesn't matter. I can just push it off to the side. I'm okay being in the corner. I'm okay being over there. I'm okay over there. Don't be okay over there. In fact, if you're okay over there, that's your warning flag. That is your warning. The enemy is going around and he's going to pick you off. Don't think you're strong enough. Stand with me. Let's pray together today. Let's pray. With the strength and power of God to move in people's lives. We have prayed in our church. We have prayed in our fellowship that God would bring Uh, the broken God would bring people who need Jesus and that's one of the beauties of being in this fellowship with you that God's spirit works in such a way that there is love for people who walk through the doors there's one thing I hear over and over and over again is the love of God's spirit working in you and through you to impact other people We're not going to be a church that talks about other people's sin, that talks about their problem, that lets their sin define them. What we're going to do is, if you're bound up, we believe in the power of God to deliver. If your family's broken up, we believe in the power of God to restore. If you're dealing with a struggle in the mind, we believe God can heal the mind. We believe that God can open those spiritual eyes. That's what Paul was praying because the reason he prayed for spiritual eyes to be opened is because spiritual eyes were closed. There were eyes that were closed. They couldn't see. They couldn't comprehend. They didn't didn't know what was going on. And so Paul prays, "What what I hope, Lord, you do with the Ephesian believers, Paul prays is open their eyes to see the might, the glory, the majesty of Jesus. And as they focus on this, all these other things will come into alignment. And so this morning, there's something on your heart, something you're working through, something you're praying for in your family, in your life, something you're praying for for someone else, something that you are praying for, what I would want you to know is that this overwhelming, all-surpassing, great power of God has already been made available to you. And there are times in earnestness and in prayer where we have to seek and seek and pray and pray, believing and standing firm that what God has already done in the spiritual realm will eventually manifest in the natural. Amen. So as we pray this morning, maybe you need someone to pray with.